The next CMO podcast explores topics that are on the minds of forward-thinking marketing executives, from leadership and strategy to emerging technologies. And we bring these topics to life by interviewing leading experts in their fields. The next CMO is sponsored by Plana, makers of the world's first AI-based marketing leadership platform. And hosted by me, Peter Mahoney, the founder and CEO of Plana, along with my co-host, Kelsey Kraft. In this episode of The Next CMO, Kelsey and I speak with Nikhil Aitharaju, the co-founder of Topic, a platform that helps editors and agencies create content briefs in half the time. Nikhil grew his last company by leveraging content marketing, and he saw amazing results. Since that time, he's become an expert in SEO-optimized content development, and he built Topic, the company, to help brands and agencies develop high-quality content at scale. We learn a ton from Nikhil during this session, including how to make sure that you've actually developed a content strategy before you start writing your content, how to figure out which keywords and topics can drive real conversions, the concept of pinpoint SEO, whether you should outsource or insource your content creation, and if you outsource it, what are the things you should do to make sure that you actually get really high quality, and what the future of a content marketing organization looks like. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I certainly did. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Nick. I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and what you do at Topic. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me on the show, Kelsey and Peter. Yeah, so just to intro- introduce myself, I'm Nikhil. I'm co-founder of Topic. Uh, Topic is a SEO content tool that helps streamline your content production by automating the research required to create high quality content briefs that you can hand off to your writers and then optimizing your first drafts that you receive from your writers before you publish on your website. So that's what Topic does. Well, that's great. And in fact, I spent some time checking out Topic, which I hadn't had the chance to see before. Very cool. Uh, So everyone should go check it out because in about 30 seconds, you get a really great view of what it does. And we thought it would be really uh, fantastic to have Nikhil on the show to so that we we can talk about the content marketing topic, which is something that I think is really top of mind for many of our listeners. And I know lots of marketers all over the place. And he comes at this from a really interesting perspective, because not only does he have a, a company that provides services to the space, but in doing it, you get access to lots and lots of data. So you would see you see what people are doing and you see what works and doesn't work, I suspect. Is that a fair assessment? That's correct. And to give you some backstory on how we got started, we actually grew our previous startup using content marketing and SEO as our primary channel. So we are both, me and my co-founder, both engineers. We, we don't know anything about marketing when we first got started back in 2012. But we're looking out for a channel for us to grow and content was the most happening thing because of HubSpot promoting the whole concept of inbound marketing. So we learned about SEO and then started creating content. And we grew that company. And after we sold that company in 2018, we were looking for other ideas to work on. And we were consulting with a lot of other clients and we saw that most of their content process is broken. So we took whatever we learned uh, from our previous company and turned that into a product so that every company who uses us can have a systematic, consistent uh, process that generates results. 
That's fantastic. And and I, I think your story is really an amazing one because what you did, obviously, is you looked at marketing from an engineering mind, which is probably the right way to look at marketing these days. It's a very analytical approach to figuring mm-hmm. out what really works from that perspective. And you figured out how to automate a bunch of it. And as you looked at this broad set of content marketing out there, and you've got, I'm sure, not only your own experiences, but when you were in that consulting phase and now where you've got a whole bunch of customers using this stuff, I'm sure you're very focused on the whole topic of content marketing. Tell me a little bit about the big mistakes companies making related to their content marketing strategies. Yeah, one of the big mistakes a lot of companies make is with their strategy. I've seen companies who go to Fiverr and just get a quick keyword report. Keyword is usually like the topics that you want to write about with some data, but that's not the right, always the right approach. So you have to get the strategy down and I would recommend working with really high quality freelancers or agencies to help you build that strategy. Before we even dive into the strategy, first you need to understand what your goal is. Is your goal to generate leads in the short term? Because content's not going to give you that. If your goal is to generate leads in the short term, you should probably look into Facebook or other paid channels first. And then once you have your product validated and you have some lead channel, like consistent lead channel going on, now if when you're looking to expand into more long-term channels, that's where content comes in. And we've seen companies make this mistake of jumping into content way too early when they're not, then don't, then they don't even have the product market fit. Or when they're looking for quick wins, they don't see that with content and they drop it, drop the ball on it after a couple of months. So that's one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen a lot of companies make. Walk us through what that strategy uh, setup would look like. I'm just curious. Yeah, I think first uh, you need to understand, hey, what's the goal here? Like how many clients or how many leads uh, do I need to get? Is, Is more traffic more important or is more leads more important? More traffic is not always, does not always equal to more leads. In fact, in our previous company, we had this one blog post that's totally unrelated to what we do, bringing in thousands of clicks a month. That's a pretty big chunk of our traffic. And we all assume that we're getting so much traffic, why are they not converting, right? Like this one blog post is the one that was driving most of it. So I think a lot of companies do have these one or two blog posts, which bring them that traffic, which makes them think that something's going right. But uh, leads is the most important thing, especially if you're a SaaS company or a startup. So when you are, if your goal is to generate more leads, the first thing I would do is to, if I'm, let's take an example, let's say we are a CRM company trying to, you know, establish ourselves in the content game. And then we're trying to see where the opportunities are. So the first thing I would do is to look at all the competitor alternatives. Are people looking for these XYZ alternatives and then create landing pages or even blog content for those pages. Uh, So this is called pinpoint SEO. So trying to create content around quick pain points that people are looking, quick pain points for which people are wanting to find a solution for uh, would be the first best bet. And that is very close to the conversion uh, funnel. So that is the first thing I would do if I'm um, starting out fresh with my content marketing strategies to figure out those keywords or topics that are, that can drive conversions. And once I have some channels, consistent channel going on, now I'll look to expand into uh, more bottom, middle of the funnel and the bottom and top of the funnel type of content. So that's a quick, like just a summary of how, how I would approach. Happy to go into it in, in depth if you have further questions. That's a, it's a great overview. And, and 
I think that people skip a lot of those steps. What they do is a lot of people just start writing stuff or mm-hmm. they write something that they think is about their product where people really don't care about your product. They care about solving, as you said, the pain okay. point that they happen mm-hmm. to be experiencing. So it's really understanding the, those elemental things first before you get there. Mm-hmm. One thing that I thought you might have mentioned by the way, is in mistakes. And I don't know if you think it's a mistake now that the way you answered this question is a lot of people I see outsourcing too much of their content. And mm-hmm. because you, you asked about, you said, hey, if you're going to get a freelancer or an agency or someone to help with this thing. And, and I wonder what your thoughts are about outsourcing versus insourcing content creation. Yeah, that's a great question. I think this is a, a, a question that a lot of our customers also have and struggle with. And for me personally, any strategy or things, strategy level thing, for example, if I need help with uh, Facebook or Google ads, approaching an agency would be ideal I mean, because it's very minimal. There's like a set, set, of, set process for optimizing ads and all that as long as you onboard them. But for content, you need the deep subject matter expertise when you're writing something. You can't just randomly talk about a topic by just searching on Google and just spinning a variation of that article. So for that, I think I would still outsource my writing part. So this is something I actually want to give a shout out to Grow and Convert. I'm a big fan of their blog. But so one thing that they recommend is to hire freelancers and then have them uh, talk to your subject matter experts within your own company. So if, for example, if I'm the, the co-founder who has a deep knowledge of what the product does, I would, and I don't have the time to write content, but I would hire a writer. I would vet them. I would, uh, you know, see if they're a good fit. And then I would set up a call, give them a very detailed outline and what I want from this content, give them the whole like picture of this, of my, just give a, do a brain dump of my expertise, like on that particular topic and give them a very detailed outline. As long as you do that, you're good. But if you're expecting to just give them a topic and have them come back with this article that magically covers everything, that's not going to happen immediately. So that is that is some that is a mis- that is what I would recommend is to still go with freelance writers, but have them interview you or your team members as they're writing the content. So I I think you made a really important distinction there, and it's the idea that if you give someone just a topic and say go with this you're going to mm-hmm. get something that is probably high level, wishy-washy, not really as mm-hmm. relevant, not really capturing your ideas. Mm-hmm. At the same time, obviously, there's value in getting a professional writer who actually knows how to write coherently and knows how to make sure that it's entertaining and flows and, and it's grammatically correct and all those things that, mm-hmm. are, that are important. And, and the thing in the middle that it sounds makes this work, because I've seen a lot of outsourced writing projects fail. And it's not Mm -hmm. because they're bad writers. It's because people missed that step that you're advocating and magically your product does this. So that's cool. And, but the thing that you're advocating, which does make a lot of sense is that you need to give them not only a deeper briefing around the content. So you understand the topic in more detail, but actually giving them some reasonable kind of outline and say, these are the things that we want you to cover in this basic order. This is the emphasis. This is the most important. This is the least important, et cetera. So that mm-hmm. level of detail is something, I, I think it's a step that gets missed a lot 
when people hire outsourced writers. And that's probably why I've had, and I'll have to apologize now retrospectively to all of the writers in my audience that I just alienated by saying, why would you do such a thing? And probably some of my negative experience in the fact come in the past comes from the fact that we didn't have that rigorous, well-researched outline that Mm -hmm. they could work from. We, we, relied more on a high level, give me something on this topic and we'll chat about it for five minutes. Exactly. It's very similar to, you know, you know if you're constructing a house, you need a blueprint and with that uh, you can begin construction or it's very similar to that. For writing part, the more research you put in, the more effort you put in at the very early stage of your process, the results are going to, the results are just going to be an after effect. They were just going to, as long as you follow this process, you're going to see results. So yeah, that's where we really saw this pain point and built the product to at least do 80% of it because there's still 20% of your subject matter knowledge that you probably have from your own experience that we can't magically get out of uh, through a product. So we do 80% of that. And uh, on top of that, you have to figure out like, hey, what do I, what unique insights do I have from my product or from my users or from my network that I can, that I can share with my writer to make this piece really truly stand out? So these are some of the things that you need to think through as you're writing your outline. And then once you have your brief, a very well-written brief, you're going to see uh, really high-quality drafts come back. And yeah, that's going to make your process very simple. But to, for the if, you want, if you're looking for help on the strategy side, I think a lot of it could be outsourced, especially if you want to figure out, hey, what, do, what type of content should I create? I think any good agency, really high quality agency, again, don't go with a uh, quick, it depends on the industry that you're in, but I would recommend going with high quality uh, freelancers or agencies to figure out the right strategy. We can meet with you, understand your goals and come up with a strategy that resonates with your goals. That can be outsourced, but the writing part, as long as you follow this process, can also be outsourced. And eventually if content's really giving you that revenue, you should totally bring uh, someone in-house if it's ROI positive. So talk to me about quantity versus quality when it comes to content marketing. What's the right balance? Yeah, so it depends on the industry that you you are in. So for example, if I'm automobile, like a directory, like where cars.com or some other like a company where I have a, a bunch of cars and I just want to capture all the traffic then I can just write some really thin content for all of these different models and whatnot just to get people. And it's also a good way to learn what people are searching for because once you have this huge spread of content, you can get some insights from Google through their tool called Google Search Console. It's a free tool that gives you a detail, that gives you detailed analysis of what search queries are people typing in Google to find your website or find your article. So once you have more breadth uh, of articles, on the on your website you're going to see what queries are people using and from there you can just double down and improve the content the good thing about search content is you can take an iterative approach you can put something out there that's still quality and if google picks up it means that you don't have to you can iterate on top of it if google is not picking up then you can go back and evaluate but that's where high quality content will work for industries like SaaS. And the industry that we're in, uh, I think quanti- sorry, high quantity works for those kind of companies, but the industry that we're in, quality matters. So even if you're publishing one to four block, maybe four block posts a month, you're still, as long as they're high quality, you're going to end up seeing some results. So I would always choose quality if I'm in industries like SaaS, especially. So that's my uh, recommendation. 
And do you have any good examples of what are the companies that you look at and really admire for their the content that they create? Any come to mind? Uh, yeah, I love this company called Close.com. Uh, they are a sales, uh, I think, sales outreach tool and CRM tool, where their content is truly really, like it resonates with me when I'm, especially when I was a founder trying to learn about sales process. Coming from an engineering background, I was referring to their content. I like Grow and Convert. A lot of agencies, in fact, in the content marketing field, Animals and Grow and Convert, these are really two good agencies. They produce one or two pieces every couple of months, but these those articles are really high quality. So those are two websites that I really admire. Let me think of more companies that I admire. HubSpot's more on the volume side, but whenever I read a HubSpot, whenever I look at the HubSpot article on the search, I know that they're, it's more volume for them versus quality. They're probably high quality as well, but I don't usually click on HubSpot, but I think these are the companies that I really admire. I can't think of any other companies. I'm sure there are a lot of companies I admire. No, I, th- I think that's a great set of examples and, and it's a little bit of a range too. And it brings me to another question I had, which is about the difference between your content strategy and your SEO strategy. So that's a good question. Tell me, tell me um, what you think. Yeah. So content doesn't always have to be for search. You can create content to engage with your Twitter audience, or you can create content to engage with your LinkedIn audience or social. So content, it can also be clickbaity. If you're like Buzzfeed, you're always creating this content, but that content is very ephemeral. Like it doesn't have a long, it has a very short, lifespan uh, versus search content it's more it compounds it, ha- it it gives you results even if you're not producing new content so it depends on your goal if not every company is really good can be like bus buzzfeed or like uh, gong is actually a company that does a really good job with their content on linkedin and there's a company called lemlist which also does a great job but these companies are creating content that has a short lifespan uh, and it, you need a unique personality to be successful at it versus search content. It's more long-term. There's a process, a consistent process that you can follow and it's less riskier as long as you're patient. Uh, so that's where, so it depends if you're, if I would always deviate towards SEO content because it's more long-term and I produce something, it, it gives me results even when I'm not creating new content. So that's the difference is content strategy doesn't, is, is a SEO strategy is a part of content strategy, but content strategy can also include other channels, not, not just uh, search. Yeah. And I think, I think your approach and your recommendations and in your tools, in fact, probably ultimately get people to do the right thing. So I, I, I assume the goal of, of your platform is to, is to get people to develop good content versus mm-hmm. just content that in fact, I was going to say that just content that gets good search results, because the reality is I think the Google algorithm is getting so good now that Mm -hmm. it is going to favor good content, I think. Is that a Mm -hmm. fair assumption? That's correct. So I think in definition, when you go, when a user goes to Google, there, there's so many, when a user types in the search query, it could be a beginner trying to learn something very basic. Versus it could be an expert trying to learn something more advanced. So Google is in a very tricky position because they have to cater to both these audience. So that's why sometimes the content that you create for search, even if it's not very insightful or very thorough from authoritative, like for example, let's say I'm an SEO expert, I'm creating this content, sharing my insights. 
And if I'm not answering the questions that these beginners are searching for, then Google is not going to give me any credit, even if my content's highly, it's high quality from a very SEO expertise standpoint. So it has to meet what the audience is looking for. So that's, I think, as long as you're answering questions that people are actually looking for, Google's going to surface. I think I was chatting with one consultant the other day, and he was mentioning that when he looks, when, when he's trying to look for a high quality insightful article, they, he usually goes into the page two or page three to find those articles because the top 10 articles uh, are usually catering to beginners. And maybe there's some expert level articles in like page two or page three that he finds it helpful, but that's something interesting. But yeah, so to answer your question, you need, to, if you're creating content for search, you need to answer the questions as quick in a very simple fashion, providing unique insights and that's all. Yeah, I, th I think Google is now better and better at, at identifying whether you're asking a discrete question that is asking for a simple and discrete answer. And in that case, structured content as an example that will show up as, as a list or something like that is Google's mm -hmm. really good at, at doing that. And you mentioned the idea of more rich content. In fact, the example you mentioned, Nick, was the the more deep, thoughtful content around sales strategies, I think, is, is mm -hmm. what you mentioned, is something that you admire. And I look at things like Kellblog is, uh, is one of my favorite. You know, I don't know if Dave Kellogg, who, who's one of the greatest SaaS metrics guys on the planet, and he happens to be on my advisory board, which is a bonus for me. So hi, Dave. Hope you're listening. And, but he's got amazing content. But 5,000 word articles, you, you really go with a lot of tables, a lot of detail, a lot of math. You'd probably really like it. So he, he really goes into a lot of detail. And I, and I imagine that he hasn't optimized that for, for page one placement on, on SEO. He's much mm -hmm. more about, again, it goes back to what you were saying before about your goals. He's, mm -hmm. he's about, he's got a strong following of people who subscribe to his newsletter. And the most important thing is probably engagement of the content with this very specific audience versus search. So it's back to, you have to really understand what your goals are for the content before you start to write your content. It makes sense. Yeah, over the recent years, I think at the very beginning, Google, as long as you have the keyword in your article, uh, and you build backlinks or build. So backlinks is a technique in SEO where you try to have your article feature in some of the articles uh, that gives Google some signals that your content has to be surfaced for a given keyword. I think that was getting a lot of results for a lot of people, but Google as AI technologies have, have emerged, Google is also getting better understanding the content quality by looking at some of the subtopics that your content is covering and matching it with your, their own internal knowledge graph of topics, uh, subtopics on that topic. So they understand your content when you're publishing and they have a signal uh, that this is high quality and then they test it out in their search results. And then if users are clicking on it, engaging with the post, that gives them more confidence and you see more and more content being bumped up to page one. So Google is experimenting every day. So that's why you see different results when on the same search query, when you search at different times, because Google is always looking for signals to bump up high quality content pieces, depending on what users think.
I know at one point HubSpot had created something called the pillar pages. I'm not sure if you ever uh, saw that or whether or not they still have it in the program, but it was exactly like you said, it's a topic, the subtopics around it to try and pull your content together. I guess my question is a little bit more on the strategy side and that use of that evergreen content. How much a content evergreen do you recommend that a company has that they can use, you know, over and over again? So it's that quality content that you're getting. Yeah. So that's a good question. So evergreen content is usually content that's really lengthy, like really long. Mm-hmm. It answers a topic really well, covers a topic really well. The way I would approach this is initially I would break down that really long evergreen post into a bunch of smaller posts and start planning on creating these individual posts separately and publishing them separately. And once I have all the list of posts that I have published on that topic, now what I do is I combine all of these and try to write like a summary or just take them and combine them and turn it into a guide. Uh, so that is the strategy for creating evergreen content. If you start set out to create this evergreen content, you're, it's the waterfall methodology in engineering where you're doing everything for that. You have a longer release cycle of six months. You're working on pushing a feature, but then uh, you're moving really slow. So instead of doing that, you should just try to publish your blog post quickly, see what's resonating. And then eventually you're building up enough content to make, create an evergreen post. So that's how I would approach this uh, strategy. And does that you, answer your question? Yes. And, and you have, your platform does some of this too, I think, Nick, it, in that you not only can you create new content, I think you can score existing content. Be, because one of the things that, one of the things that I think a lot of, especially more established companies struggle with is they may have this huge catalog of stuff that's out mm-hmm. there. And it may be okay, but it may be able to perform a little bit better, one, if it's structured, uh, two, mm-hmm. if you promote it a little bit, and then three, I'm a big fan of organizing into broad campaigns. And, mm-hmm. and if you can start, and that can be a topic page that's talking about a big issue that has many small parts, or it can be really a true multi-channel kind of campaign where you're, you have content, but you also have events and you have paid and you have broadcast, you have all these things that tie to this one major content that you want to be known for. And mm-hmm. so how would you think differently, I guess, is my concealed question about a more established company thinking about approaching their content versus someone who's just getting going for the first time? Yeah. If, if you already have an established content library, the first thing I would do is to do an audit like look through all the list of content that is underperforming or overperforming. And uh, Google Search Console is a great tool for, for doing that. So you can quickly take a look at content that is not getting any traffic. So when you have those type of content, you just see if either we recommend removing it, if it does not have any people, like if, if there's a New York Times article talking about this, mentioning your article that, that does not receive any traffic, you shouldn't be removing that article because there is a strong signal from New York Times and Google cares about that. So you should do a content audit, remove content that's underperforming. And then for articles that are really doing well, figure out like what topics are doing well within your audit and then double down on those topics that are doing well. So that's how I would approach if I'm a new company creating this, sorry, if I'm an existing company trying to redo my content strategies to look at what topics am I really doing well and can I double down on it? Can I add more uh, content around the same topic? 
if I'm a new company, again, the goal goes back to the strategy that we talked about in the earlier, like what's my goal. And then I usually come up with a content strategy based on that. And would you think differently about your strategy if, or your general approach, even if you were marketing to consumers versus marketing to businesses, or, or is it really depend more specifically about what you're trying to accomplish within those segments? Yeah. So marketing to businesses requires, I mean, it's a very similar approach. It's a very similar mindset, but the tactics that I would employ might be a little different. Maybe for consumers, Facebook and Google, Instagram ads, since there's a lot of volume, it's those channels work, tend to work out really well. For content, for consumers, I would have very similar strategy, what I would do for businesses. Sometimes when you're creating content for consumers, you're trying to focus on awareness more than conversion. So I would be going after search queries that have really high volume. For example, if I'm a consumer company creating a, a gut health testing kit, I would just write about like, how do you, what's, what does it on the topic of gut health versus if I'm a SaaS company trying to, trying to find more leads on sales marketing, sales tools, I would be focusing on those niche keywords that will drive conversions. So that's where the content strategy differs, but the overall mindset is very similar. Makes sense. And the, if, if you think about the kind of length of content that makes the most sense, obviously it's going to vary, I think is going to be part of the answer, but, but there are, I, I look at, I mentioned the Dave Kellogg post that can be three or 5,000 words. We have some that are about that long too, but it, it's targeted at an executive audience who, who can get, who, who can hopefully get really into it. And they spend, we've got articles where people spend seven, eight, 10 minutes on, on a page, things like that. Is there some such a thing as too much? And, and, and what is that cutoff you think for performance? Yeah. So yeah, this is, we just, we write actually about to launch a blog post on this topic. I think Mark, a lot of content editors, they get obsessed over the word count. They, we all have the assumption that the more is always good. But that's not always the answer. Uh, so HubSpot recently did a study that they published saying that if you're writing a guide, it has to be around like 2,000 or 3,000 words. If you're writing a blog post, like a how-to blog post, it has to be around like 1,500. That This is just a general recommendation. But you can start off with that general recommendation and then start building your outline. And your outline should dictate how many words your article should contain. But yeah, do not get really obsessed about creating this 1,000, 10,000 page article because even as a consumer, if you land on a page that's 10,000 words, you would just be overwhelmed unless you really are talking about a niche, uh, niche topic that people are interested in reading in detail. I wouldn't really go on the longer side. I would try to pick a sweet spot. And based on my outline, I would let my outline dictate what the word count should come out, should be. Definitely. What trends would you, or what do you think you're going to be seeing in the near future with content, the content marketing experience and Google's algorithm? Yeah. So Google is always evolving. Google is trying to, a lot of people have, there's a recent Musk co-founder, I don't know if Rand Fishkin, he published their case study that Google is stealing almost the searches. Uh, Google is taking away the traffic. Google got back saying that, Hey, we give a lot of traffic back to the sites and it's increasing. There's the sentiment that Google's kind of taking away some of the traffic by answering those questions via those answer boxes that we see. Mm-hmm. So there's a trend that's happening. It's going to likely more likely to happen because Google's vision, mission is to help users 
find the answers as quickly as possible. And if they can find an answer without clicking into the article, why not, right? Like for example, if you're tracking flights or packages, you don't want to click into that website and look, you can just get it in Google. So it's, it's easier for the users. But so that is really bad if you're for companies who are focusing on creating those widgets for flight tracking or time tracking or whatever. But I think Google's mission is to answer all these questions as quickly as possible. That is going to happen. So the way you should, that is a trend that I will see more happening. The other trend is AI. I see a lot of AI recently in the last year. GPT OpenAI launched their tool, AI model called GPT-3. It's pretty advanced model. It's one of the best models available, especially for the public right now. And uh, it's really good at coming up with short sentences, taking your ideas and turning them into sentences, sometimes even writes an article. But since it's trained on this public data set, it has a lot of biases and it can really go on the wrong path pretty quickly. But as they improve this, uh, their own model, we're going to see AI helping you with copywriting more and more. But it's not going to replace the copywriters because you still need, AI is not perfect. You still, writers are going to become the editors. They're going to employ, use these tools to speed up their writing process, but then they are the ones trying to stitch everything together and telling a story. So that's where I would see, that's a big trend that's emerging. And Google's going to be on top of this. Google's going to, you know, probably evolve and answer most of the most common questions themselves that the AI would anyways do. I think that's a big trend that I will be noticing in the SEO industry. From a content perspective, obviously, you guys are very word-centric, but more and more content is really rich in multimedia kind of content. Mm-hmm. It's got audio, it's got charts, it's got video. Mm-hmm. How how do you see that evolving over time? It, it seems like there's a real thirst for creating richer content for people that may be either streaming or has visuals in it or something like that. And that's a little harder to scale, obviously. Mm-hmm. So how do you think about that? Yeah, even uh, I forgot to mention this, but Google is also caring. They care about the user experience. So they recently have a bunch of updates that they made to the algorithm that looks at uh, user experience signals to really surface your content. So more and more multi- multimedia, as long as it's adding value to your users. So sometimes, sometimes if you can explain a given concept through an image or a video or a podcast recording snippet and people are engaging with your content, Whatever works, you should be employing those. But if you're just using images or videos just as fillers, that's really bad. Those Anything that you add to your content has to have a purpose. But if you're looking to create content for other channels, like YouTube or podcasting, I think, yeah, that's it's a growing trend that I'm seeing more and more companies employ, but then that requires a lot of resources. It's a very hard question uh, to answer which ones you need to pick. One of the things that we often get a lot of questions about is how should I think about building my marketing team and my marketing organization? So where do you see content owned within the marketing organization? Obviously, it varies small versus large, but mm-hmm. what are the trends you're seeing around who owns content? within a marketing team? Yeah, usually every marketing team, depending on the size of the company you're at, they have a CMO, a director of marketing, paid media, then they have the content marketing manager who reports to director of marketing. And content marketing manager, either they have editors working under them and content writers. If you have uh, writing in-house or if you're outsourcing, usually they also report to you, but then you also have SEOs Sometimes SEOs work for the product org or they actually are working closely with marketing. 
But this is a tra traditional org structure that we've seen uh, as content marketing manager report to the, uh, the director of marketing or the, or the uh, VP of marketing and the editors that are working under them. And, and do you see people separating SEO from content? And how do they work together? I think more and more people are actually, SEO and content is merging. There is a field of technical SEO, which requires, especially if you are e-commerce or if you're like managing hundreds of URLs or websites, hundreds of um, articles, you need an SEO, technical SEO person just to help ensure that your content is actually being found from the technical standpoint. You don't want to make any obvious basic technical mistakes. So you have technical SEO and they report to the marketing. But sometimes the technical, the SEO is driven by product. So for companies like where there's a lot of UGC involved, like Pinterest, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the product, they get a ton of traffic through SEO. So they have a, a SEO person working with the product organization trying to figure out like how can we programmatically generate URLs for these queries that people are searching for. So that's where the SEOs are. That's where in those kind of use cases, we see technical SEOs and SEOs reporting to product. I, I think we're close to the end of our time here, and and maybe we have one last question that Kelsey will ask in a second. But before we get to that, we should just ask you to let people know where they can learn more about Topic. If you want to learn more about sign up for to learn more about Topic, go to usetopic.com, or you can add me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Great, and we'll put all those links in the show notes too, so people can get access to it. Very impressive platform that the Topic team has has built. So I. Definitely encourage you to go check it out, especially as you probably have content marketing becoming more and more important in your marketing strategies overall. So uh, fantastic resources also on their website. So definitely check it out. And with that, I think, Kelsey, you have the last question. Yes, our favorite question of all, what advice would you give to CMOs or those one someday? Yeah, I think being data-driven is one of the best uh, to be having that growth mindset is one of the most best qualities that I look for when I'm when I am looking for a director of marketing or CMO. It's trying to be data driven and really good at. I think you have to be data driven and then also merge that with the creative aspect of marketing. So having that blend of both these uh, qualities really makes a good CMO. Great advice. Thanks so much for joining us today, Nick. I uh, really appreciate your insights and sharing some great thoughts on content strategies, content marketing, SEO, and all those related things. And with that, I think, Kelsey, it's time to take us out. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today, Nikhil. Great to learn about topic and uh, a lot about content marketing. Make sure to follow the next CMO and Plana on Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you have any ideas for topics or guests, you can email us at the next CMO at Plana.com. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Nikhil. Thanks. Great. Thanks. Thanks.